think about you as a student and then think about your academic challenges and your successes and think about where you are now. And if someone had to paint a picture of you when you were in the sixth grade or seventh grade or eighth grade, would you would, it, would they have written the same story for you where you're sitting right now? Hi, welcome to the DOE Digest, a podcast from the New Jersey Department of Education. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Bond. The DOE Digest is a platform where we highlight resources the department has to offer, as well as the work being done by transformative educators around the state. This podcast is one of the ways that we utilize our digital platform to help strengthen teaching, leading, and learning, and increase educational equity for students across New Jersey. Thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, we're going to be discussing accelerating learning in secondary school, which will include middle school grade spans and high school grade spans. The first section of this episode is a continuation on accelerated learning discussions with Lisa Haberl and Mackie Pendergrass, who I talked with last episode. From there, I'll hold a discussion with Aaron Murphy Richardson, whose clip I featured at the beginning of this episode. We'll be discussing what her school, Barack Obama Green Charter High School, has been doing as a Lighthouse awardee to increase success and access for students when it comes to accelerating learning. As a reminder, we are going to be holding our hashtag NJEdPartners Twitter chat to talk about this topic on May 17th, 2022. I hope that you enjoy these discussions and the ways that my guests are thinking about accelerating learning in secondary schools. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome, Lisa. Welcome, Mackie. Can you just tell me a little bit about yourselves and your work here at the department as of late? My name is uh, Lisa Haberl, and I am the acting director of the Office of Standards. And my uh, recent work at the department is really working on uh, designing supports for the New Jersey Student Learning Standards um, in all levels and working with colleagues across offices and divisions to try to figure out how we can cohesively best support the field. Good morning. My name is Mackie Pendergrass. I'm assistant commissioner for the Teaching Learning Services division and we're working on all the above related to teaching and learning which which is pretty vast right now we we've been engaged in all sorts of conversations from standards to assessments to innovation uh, across the board Uh, very energizing work that we're doing so it's been exciting awesome and i'm so energized to talk with you today about accelerating learning and looking specifically at the high school level to, to think about how districts and schools can can look at high school and also junior high uh, middle school as well and that whole process of transitioning from being in a k-12 system to really thinking about the future after the k-12 system and, and what comes next so what are some big ideas that you're thinking about in terms of giving students access to success for their middle school, their high school, and then looking at their post-secondary experience. I'm always going to go back to the learning acceleration guide. And so one of the foundational principles, principle two of the guide is we're looking at improving equitable access to grade level content and really making sure that every student has access to high quality resources. And so thinking carefully about what that looks like in practice, one thing that I always tend to focus on, especially at the secondary level, is trying to determine who has 
access to advanced coursework and who may not have that access as readily. So many districts, when they took a look at the guide, had conversations around unintentional barriers that exist. So whether it's prerequisite courses that are required or uh, assessments, uh, you know, tests that, that may appear or just not having scaffolds um, in place to help support all students having access to this really exciting coursework. And when I say advanced coursework, it's not, we're not just talking AP, IB, we're talking about really enriching electives. We're talking about career and technical education programs. We're talking about all of the coursework that makes high school what it is and, and, and prepare students for that incredible post-secondary success that, that we hope that they achieve. Yeah, what a great answer. I, I, you said a lot there, Lisa. I think the question's a great one, right? Access, I think your words, Ken, were access to success. That's a, that's a good phrase. I'm not sure if I've heard it said just that way before. So how, what, what gives them access to success? So I, the, the science, again, is pretty clear. What gives them access to success are developmental constitutive relationships. And that's kind of a, a, a maybe an ed theory term what it what it means in terms of the bumper sticker is these relationships that empower students that make them stronger where a student feels there's reciprocity in that relationship and there's trust and there's meaning and there's purpose when you look at the adolescent brain the it changes in adolescence starting in middle school and we go through high school and even into right young adulthood that brain is actively changing how do we want it to change and so that that really goes to your question well what gives them access to success another way of looking at that question is how do we want that brain to change so they can be successful and the answer to that is i think through these relationships where they fe feel trust and they feel purpose and meaning and that can happen in classroom that can happen with other students that can happen with adults, our schools are set up where teachers have 125 students. And so in some ways, it's it's more difficult to get to students. So this brings up to back to your question, well, then how do we give them access to success? And one of those ways is through co-curricular and extracurricular programs where kids can participate in areas where there's meaning, where they have mentoring with adults, but also shared interests with peers and they and they can develop. And that human development that takes place in that arena, and the research, by the way, is overwhelmingly clear on this, that the, the, the reflection, the challenge that you put yourself, the executive functioning that you're learning in those extracurricular and co-curricular activities transfers to math and history and English. So if we want to accelerate learning, we want to accelerate these relationships. So that's great. So I'm hearing themes of really removing obstacles, removing barriers, and also building relationships, right? So if we're removing some of these obstacles, like prerequisites for uh, certain coursework or like uh, allowing them to you know, have a wide range of co-curricular and, and extracurricular options. How do we how do we go deep and help them go deep in this in this environment where where there may be some sense of loss and some feelings of of uh, maybe inadequacy because they weren't able to, to experience some of the things that students have in the past. We've got to make sure that what we're doing 
it matches up with the student's brain. And so students and adolescents, they crave discovery. They crave purpose. They crave meaning. You're not going to get any of those things if you just go fast at everything. And so we, we have to be intentional uh, and we have to really look at how we're developing relationships. Schools should be looking at how, how many of our kids are participating in co-curriculars and, and who's not participating and why. And, and maybe it's just something as, well, they can't stay after school because they don't, they can't, they don't have a way home. Well, then the school really needs to look at, you know, how to provide busing for those kids. Maybe, maybe the obstacles, there are other things, right? Maybe you can't do that. So those clubs need to happen during the day. Maybe there needs to be, you know, greater support uh, for kids in different classes. But I think what we need to do is go slow and get a feedback loop, see how kids are doing and keep that, that S curve going as we keep responding to their needs. I think that idea of not just going slow for slowness's sake, right? But going slow to observe, collect data, and ask, is what we're doing working and how can we change it to make it better is, is so important because there can be a lot of unintended consequences from just saying, this is the program we're gonna be doing and we're gonna implement it without looking at that feedback of what do students think? How does this impact them? What are some of the unintended consequences here? So that, that's great. So yeah. I'll just build on that. You've got, they've got to have greater voice, not just like at the student council or at the club. They, ha they have to have a greater voice in that class. They have, to ha they have to be able to provide feedback of like, well, here, here's what we should be learning. I'm not learning it. Here's why. I don't know, understand this. Here's the feedback. There, there's got to be this reciprocity within that learning within that classroom, but also in the whole, also the whole culture and environment of the school we elevate student voice that's how you accelerate learning that's one thing we all have to do that's it i think that's the heart of it you know it's very easy to reduce learning acceleration to a cycle of formative practice and assessment testing and learning and testing and learning but it, there's a reason why the guide has four principles. There's a reason why we're thinking about the whole student and the whole landscape of a student's experience. And, you know, to Mackie's point, we're, the learner at this at this age is deeply committed to finding sense of self, like their identity is forming. They're really trying to find their place in this world. And so when we think about those co-curricular activities, I think of myself, you know, many, many, many moons ago when I was a high school student, like I was a swimmer. I was a terrible field hockey player who, you know, loved to be on a team and, but, you know, um, wanted to be part of the process. I was um, in student council. I was, um, you know, part of Amnesty International. Like I, I wanted, you know, I was an advocate for human rights at, at age 14. So if, if you don't have access to these ways to try on these different identities and see yourself in these roles, it's a really hard, it's hard to ground yourself. And so, you know, providing access to these kinds of programs, having them available, supporting students and not putting barriers to those programs. Like if a GPA is a requirement to get into a program that's engaging for students, we, we don't want to deter students from, from these experiences, these activities on their quest for identity and, and sense of self. At the New Jersey Department of Education, we believe that reflective practice informed by both data that's quantitative, like test scores, like graduation rates, and also things like discussions with students, finding out about their interests, and looking at students as whole people 
It's all so important in aggregate. And one thing that you'll notice about both the discussion that you just listened to and the one that you're about to listen to is the focus on looking at students when it comes to learning acceleration as individuals who have interests and futures that may go beyond being defined by one specific attribute. So yeah, why don't you introduce yourself, name, title, organization, and county. So my name is Erin Murphy Richardson, and I am the Chief School Administrator and Principal of the Barack Obama Green Charter High School, and we are located in Union County. So we're going to be talking about learning acceleration, and I thought of your school because as a high school, you're doing so many innovative things that I think we all can learn from. And so I'm really excited to talk through how you have approached this in the past and what you're doing now to really accelerate learning as one of our Lighthouse awardees. So how have you seen the centering of student voice as something that leads to learning acceleration? So I, I, I want to look at voice as almost like if we can look at a metaphor like a flame. Right. So once we ignite students to use that flame, it's really important that we pay attention to the colors of that flame when we actually get it lit, if you know what I mean. Think about a good barbecue in the backyard. And so the the step to the, uh, making sure that we help with them with accelerate learning, accelerate their learning is to listen to them. First thing is to let them know where they stand. Right. Um, I was a high school practitioner before I came on into this role, and I was, um, I was, I say, blessed to teach the students who may have had some struggles to get to where they were. And the the best thing that ever worked for me was to actually talk to them. A lot of the kids don't actually really, really know where they stand academically. And so just helping them understand that, one, where are you? And then, two, once you realize where you are, now you need to speak up for it, right? I told you where you are, you know where you are, where are we gonna go from this? And when you get bumps in the road, tell me about it. I actually wanna hear about it. Yes, it's gonna give us more work here, but the more you talk to us about actually what you need, then we're able to make some progress. But the first part is you have to empower them to talk up. And if they don't know to look for it, if they don't know where they stand, they're, they're gonna always remain in the dark. That's great. So I, I love that idea of really having students talk about what they need. As a school leader, how do you how do you and your teachers talk through kind of fostering that and encouraging that in your in your school? What what types of what types of conversations do you have to to really bring that flame up in, in heat, right? And get that get that flame even bigger. So it used to be very formula, um, encouraging those data talks and then bring the talks to me and a PLC and let's figure out what does this really mean, right? So it's very, very formula. Now it's really organized chaos, which is amazing because it's just academic talking all around. I really have an open door policy to the point where my hinges should be gone. <laughs> um, and so when something interesting comes up in a conversation or we hear a kid come and advocate for themselves, it's literally at that moment, nothing is more important than answering that question. So it's really literally a stop and drop. And let me help you figure out what you need in order to achieve the goal you're trying to achieve that day. So yes, it, it is. It can be a little much of the movement, but 
this is this is this is their business. We work for them. And so, you know, in my business, if I had a question for one of my colleagues, I'm going to go walk to that classroom and when I ask a question and I really encourage the same because it is the same practice. So, it, like I said, it used to be very formula. Now it's like, hey, this person came to ask a question. I answered the question, email to the team. Let me know. What, let me let you know what the question was. And so you may see those those inquiry based type of um, actions happen in your class because they're trying to figure out something. So it's really just we empower them to go get what you need when you need it. So we are adding a middle school next year. And so I, I may have to reevaluate that model once we get another 200 kids in here. So hopefully not too much, but we may have to reevaluate. Thinking about scale is always something that is a fun challenge. So I'm excited. To, I'm excited to see how you still foster student voice in that new environment. That'll, that'll be great. And I look forward to reconnect with you later and tell you how it works. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. So your Lighthouse Award was given for increasing equity in AP enrollment throughout your, throughout your school, throughout your student population. So how can districts accelerate learning for students who are not meeting grade level expectations? Because you talked about that a little bit in your equity story and simultaneously support their access to success, including advanced coursework and, and other types of opportunities. So one of my closest colleagues, my mentee who is getting her doctorate, so, so soon she'll be my mentor at some point, a long time ago, she um, helped me remember something, and she used this quote. In the quote, it's test scores and measurements of achievement tell you where a student is, but they don't tell you where a student can end up, right? And just given my life philosophy around education and my experiences and where I grew up, I always always kept that in the forefront and then I started to forget it and she said it to me and then I remembered again about 10 years ago and I said I have to keep this in, in the forefront. We measure three things. We measure literacy, we measure mathematical computations, we measure science skills. Those are not the only three careers we have in the world though, right? Um, and so if we only use those three database sets or database sets around those same learning standards to determine whether or not someone's going to be successful in an advanced placement course that has nothing to do with those standards, we're not doing a good job. And we are we're, we're really actually setting kids up for not to not be in an equitable situation. That's why when I talked about my equity story, we talk about so many other points of data. What do you want to do? What do you like to learn? How do you like to learn? What courses are you interested? And we that's when we found out. Like, listen, yeah, you're not doing too good in, in advanced calculus, or you're not doing too good in algebra two, but you are a heck of an artist, and you really need to sit in this advanced placement class because this place is going to take you someplace. So. You really have to look at what you want to offer, why you want to offer it, the skill set is going to be needed to get a kid through that and determine whether or not the data points up until that time were fair, because we really can hinder someone's growth and opportunity. Um, and, you know, not to be too personal, but um, my son alone, my son, he, um, he, I am, me and my husband, we are blessed to have a student with special needs. So we are team IEP, okay? And and I've watched my son overcome obstacles over and over again. And with those obstacles, you have challenges on certain standardized tests, just like him and uh, hundreds of kids that look just like him, right? My son is taking an AP art exam. He just got accepted to art. Um, he's going to fashion college. He's an artist. His NJSLA ELA scores from fifth grade 
are not determined by the success right now, right? And I, we have to make sure we're doing things like that because we will end up, you know, really putting kids in a, in a certain barrier that's not fair to them. Um, through this Lighthouse opportunity, thank you, so many school districts have reached out to me um, to help them do the same thing. And they all are realizing that systems that were in place for years and years and years and the data points that they were using are the cause as to why they don't see the diversity they need. So. A, a child still may have a deficiency, right? They may need to still need some remediation. You do that in the moment though, right? When I'm sitting and I'm, I'm following this AP curriculum and I realize that whatever the whatever the course is, that you're not understanding that skill, the educators that we have here, we stop at everything. Because we can't move forward if we don't we don't fill that gap. There is no moving over. There is no, we'll get back to it. There is no, um, come see me after school. No, let's stop because if you have this question, maybe other people may have this question. And then that goes back to the voice piece. That's great. And I love the way that you've really empowered your teachers too, right? To have that discretion and be able to to pause. We've been talking the last uh, podcast episode and this one where we're talking about learning acceleration, about le accelerating learning doesn't necessarily mean fast, 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 fast all the time, right? Sometimes it can be stop everything for you to be able to accelerate in the future, right? And be able to engage with this content, you need a deep understanding of this foundational concept, right? Before before we can move on. So, uh, you know, I really I really love the way that you've you framed that in in terms of really equipping your teachers. So, I I want to hear about professional learning community how, how are you building community with your teachers what types of professional learning have your staff leveraged have you worked with them on to accelerate student learning and and really ramp that up as as this school year has gone on so you've, we've had a plethora of professional learning opportunities but the most important pieces for this are pieces around growth mindset and pieces around culturally responsive education. That's like the core at this point. Um, everything else, when we you know use different models and all that, that's nice. But if you don't have your core as so like, okay, what am I gonna do? And what uh, systems I need to dismantle in my own head before I can really educate this group of kids that may not look anything like me or come from where I come from, you have to do that work. And so, and I'm, I mean heavy work. This is not a one-stop nine to 12 in August. This has been an ongoing cultural conversation, a continuous learning experience around mindset and just closely responsive practices. So I think it's important that we tap into mindset. As just a, a culture, when we look at numbers, right, we've always been told to certain numbers mean good, certain numbers mean bad. Right. And so, you know, automatically you think deficit. Oh, I'm not right. Something's wrong. I can't. That word can't. I hate that word. I hate that word so much. Right. I really, really, really work with the practitioners to remind them that there is no bad number. This number is a number that tells us where we are based off a scale that someone created and where we need to go. And through there, we'll find things. So there's no good nor bad, right? So in that mindset work, that kind of helped like, okay, yes, I'm okay with a student who may not pass an NJSLA being recommended for AP. I get where you're going now, Ms. Richardson. It makes sense, right? So throwing away bad numbers, 
we all are numbers. Let's figure out what those numbers mean and how they get our kids to success. And then the uh, coastal responsive piece, critical. The African-American and Hispanic students, based off our cultural archetypes that we in our cultures, we are group people. We tend to learn from one another, very antidotal folk tale type learning, right? And so if you walk into a classroom setting and you don't know anything about that, and you continuously try to talk at someone from a lens that they don't understand and a lens you don't want to learn about, then you're not doing any work. You're not doing any work. You just spend 180 days talking at someone. But if you really want to break those barriers and understand how they learn to really educate them, you have to learn about culture. And so for us to keep going, and yes, we have multi-tiered systems of success and we have uh, PLCs and we have all those things. But if we don't start with mindset and culture, we're not going to go anywhere. I love it. That's awesome. So just kind of to, to wrap things up, is there anything that you were hoping that I would ask about or that you want to highlight that we didn't get to talk about that you feel is important for folks to hear around this idea of learning acceleration and, you know, a, a message that, that you think folks should, should have and leave with? So many, <laughs> but the most important part is um, don't ever judge a student by their data learn them learn them completely if we're here to educate the whole child then learn the whole child don't count anybody's child out because you wouldn't want anyone to count your child out and also think about you as a student and then think about your academic challenges and your successes and think about where you are now and if someone had to paint a picture of you when you were in the sixth grade or seventh grade or eighth grade would you would they have written the same story for you where you're sitting right now so it's very important that we learn the whole child if we really want to educate the whole child Such great insights from everyone that shared with us today on this episode. I'd like to thank my guests. I'd like to thank you listeners for tuning in and making this possible. And I'd like to thank Elizabeth Thomas for transcribing the episode to make it accessible for all. We look forward to continuing to connect and engage with you about educating the 1.4 million students around the state and hope to talk to you on the hashtag NJEdPartners third Tuesday Twitter chat. You can subscribe to the podcast channel for DOE Digest through your iPhone and the Apple Podcast app or wherever else you listen to podcasts so that you can get new episodes when they are released. Also, please leave us a review through the Apple Podcast app on your iPhone. It is the best way to help new listeners find us. Neither the New Jersey Department of Education nor its officers, employees, or agents specifically endorse, recommend, or favor views expressed by those interviewed. Discussion of resources are not endorsements. Thanks so much for listening.